Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. How are you doing this morning? Good. Good, good. I'm with Brandon. I wear black on Good Friday. It feels appropriate, but if you're in white, you are welcome here. You're good. You can't, you're allowed to do that. That's not a problem. So good. All right. Well, good morning. Brandon set me up here. making dinner, I was making a roast beef dinner, and I had on some worship music, and one of the songs said, uh, Friday's good because Sunday's coming, and I feel like that is the hope that we have in Good Friday, right, that that as much as this is a time, and sometimes it feels like it should be somber, it's like, oh, it should be raining on Good Friday, right, there's this, there's this weightiness to the day, but as Christians or people that follow Jesus, we have this incredible Today we're going to focus in on the death of Jesus and remind ourselves and look to the death of Jesus and the sacrifice he made and what that actually looks like and means for us. But we don't stay there. As Christians, we don't just stay in Friday. The only reason that Friday is good is because Sunday is coming. And so as Brandon's saying, come back on Sunday, I encourage you to do so. And don't just bring yourself, but bring your family, bring your neighbor, um, bring your neighbor's family with their kids. And as Brandon said, there's going to be so much happening in the lobby. It's going to be a great time celebrating. Uh, we're even having like um, professional photos being taken. So if you want to get like a family portrait or photo or like headshot for yourself, you can do that. But, but there's a... Uh, There's just going to be a great time celebrating together because that really is the hope of Jesus, that it's not just Friday, Sunday is coming. So we're going to open up this morning into Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 45. And I want to give you a little bit of context before we even get there. Last week on Sunday, it was Palm Sunday, and we see Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, into the city, and people excited and celebrating him, and then All of these events take place throughout the week, which at the end of the week leads to one of his closest followers, his disciples, betraying him and him getting arrested. And it's this wild experience that takes place. And he's kind of questioned by all of these different people and talked through all these different situations. And the different gospel accounts give some different details about what that looks like. But then what we have at the end there is Pilate going to the people, going to the crowd of people and saying, all right. I'm going to give you back one of these prisoners, one of these people under arrest. How about Barabbas, who is a known convict, or Jesus, who I really can't figure out what he's doing here. Uh, Who do you want? And the crowd and the religious leaders go, we want Jesus to be crucified. Give us Barabbas. And they go to this point, they say, uh, uh, Pilate goes, okay, you can have him, but like, listen, I'm cleaning my hands of this man's blood. Like, I'm not, I'm not taking responsibility for him. And the people go, 
his blood is on us and our children. Like a riot is forming here. Like this is, this is intensity. All logic has gone out the window and they are angry and they are seething and they want Jesus put to death. So then we see that Jesus is flogged. He's mocked. He's whipped. They cast lots for his clothing. There's these situations where he is just fully humiliated and fully treated so poorly. And then he is placed on this cross with his arms outstretched, nailed to the cross, his feet nailed, and he is lifted up and set out to die. And as he was crucified, people are walking by him, shaking their heads, wagging their heads, and hurling insults at him. It is just such a low moment when you look through the details of this story of Jesus' death. And we pick it up here in verse 45. It says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all of the land. That's an interesting situation that takes place. All of a sudden, everything goes dark, and we can't chalk it up to something happening like with the sun or with the moon. Like, that's not the time of year. It wouldn't be correct. Yet it goes fully dark. I think at this point, people probably were starting to go, okay, what's happening here? This is a little bit confusing. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, this is when people are probably going, okay, maybe, maybe something has happened here. Maybe we should have taken Barabbas. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split apart. And the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Why don't we pray and we're going to pull this apart a little bit here. So Jesus, we thank you that it is Good Friday. We thank you that we have the hope of Sunday. Lord, we thank you that as we read this story, that we know that your death was not in vain. And I just pray that as we look to you today, that we would not be so full of pride as to think that somehow we have it figured out as these people did so long ago. But Lord, that we would surrender to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, this is a familiar passage to many of us. And maybe you even have, you know, a preferred gospel, one of the accounts of Jesus' life that you read this story out of and you, you like to pull it apart and you like to understand it. This death of Jesus is maybe something that you've heard year after year on Good Friday. Whether you come to church regularly or you just come out more on Easter weekend, on Christmas, you've probably heard this story before. This, this message, this depiction of Jesus' death. You know, it's a pretty astounding passage. As we see these incredible events take place, the curtain of the temple is torn in two. The earthquake takes place, these bodies raised to life that Matthew gives account of. 
And there's all of these different things happening within this short passage of Scripture. But something I want to hone in on today is the moment on the cross where Jesus is hanging there. He is in excruciating physical pain. But he is also in excruciating spiritual pain. And there's this mysterious statement that theologians and scholars have looked into, have studied, have tried to pull apart, have tried to fully understand for centuries. When Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's almost like a cringy moment to read that and hear the abandonment in Jesus' voice and the depth. He doesn't just say it. He's not just talking back to his father, so to speak, as a child might give attitude to a parent. He is roaring it out in complete anguish. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's easy to look at this at face value, maybe even feel bad for Jesus, of just like, what is going on here? Somehow we can pit the father against the son and grieve his isolation in this moment. And yet what we see as we look into scripture, as we look beyond this moment, we see that God holds the ultimate plan, that this was necessary because of something that we as humanity actually did. You know, interestingly, as it's typical with Scripture, there are so many layers. Like, we can open up the Bible and we can read the Bible, and it's a simple message. And we can understand things of the Bible, we can understand Scripture, and there's not a barrier to be able to read the Word of God. And yet, as we look deeper, the depths and the layers of Scripture is also never-ending. And it's amazing how this book holds this intention. That any person on the street can open it up and receive something from it because the Holy Spirit works through it. And at the same time, scholars can spend years and decades of their life studying just one passage and never get to the end of it. It's It's an incredible book. But what's typical in Scripture is there's a lot of different meaning, a lot of different layers, a lot of different reference. I love in Luke 24 when Jesus appears to his disciples after the resurrection, after he comes back to life. Jesus is saying this. He, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So Jesus sits down and he starts to give them understanding of these Old Testament texts that were prophetically talking about him and what would happen through him. There's all of these layers. There's all of these things that Jesus can see about it talking about the coming Messiah, which is him. You see, as, as Jesus is on the cross and he cries out this statement, it's not just a random statement of suffering. I think for many of us, we go, okay, this is just him uh, kind of having a moment right, where he's just crying out these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it is much deeper than this. This statement actually points directly to Psalm 22, verse 1, where David writes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This psalm was written by David when he was in a place of complete isolation and suffering. And so Jesus is not just coming up with a statement that's coming out of his pain and suffering and turmoil. He is actually referencing back to a psalm written many years prior by David as he finds himself in a place of isolation, suffering, wondering where God could be in his moment of turmoil. And it's a pretty intense psalm when we look at it. 
as Matthew is writing this account of Jesus' death on the cross, he fittingly demonstrates the prophetic nature of Psalm 22. You see, Matthew was also a smart guy. He had great knowledge of the scriptures. He would have known the Psalms in and out. And he's demonstrating for us, the reader, many years later, the, the parallels that we find between his account in Matthew of Jesus' death and what was talked about prophetically in Psalm 22. You know, when we look at Psalm 22, it's helpful if we're in a time of suffering, if we're going through a season where we feel isolated, hopeless, unsure where we're going to go and how we're going to get there, as Brandon just talked about while we were worshiping. It's something you can read and actually find solace in for ourselves. But it's interestingly, interesting how Matthew joins not just this psalm, but the death of Jesus together for us to see what we were looking forward to so so long prior to this as well. So I'm going to read a little bit of Psalm 22, and it's quite long, so I'm going to read chunks of it. I'm going to skip some pieces, but I encourage you to go home and read it today uh, with your family or yourself. I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, as far from my, city, from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer me. By night I find no rest. Jumping ahead to verse 7. All who see me mock me. They hurl insights, insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Into verse 16. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. And into verse 27, as we head towards the end of the psalm, it says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion, for dominion belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve them. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. This right here is the hope of the gospel. I wonder, can you see the parallels as I'm talking about it there? It's so fascinating when you go into scripture and you go a little bit deeper as the parallels start coming out and the prophetic nature of this song. It's a, it talks about all who see me mock me, shaking their heads, hurling insults. This is exactly what we see as Jesus is on the cross. People are walking by, shaking their heads and hurling insults at him as he, as he is dying and suffering there talks about how they divide their clothes, uh, my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. This is what we see the soldiers doing with Jesus as they've tormented him and mocked him and, and put him on this cross. He trusts in the Lord. Uh, let's let the Lord rescue him. This is what the people are saying to Jesus. Like, let your God come down and rescue you if you are so great. The pierced hands and feet with, feet with bones on display. Like, it's just wild to see all of the parallels of what the psalmist writes so many years ago come into fruition with Jesus over and over again. And ultimately, we have Jesus echoing the psalmist, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, as David penned this psalm, there's irony right in the first verse. 
When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He feels alone. He feels abandoned. And yet he still claims God as his God. He still validates God as being present, even though it feels like he is not there. And as Jesus is nailed to the cross, something powerful happens. As he is suffering and dying. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, there's this mysterious relationship within Scripture between God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And we talk about it as the Trinity. Three persons, one God. And it is mysterious, and it is difficult to get our heads fully wrapped around, and that's okay. We are the created. He is the creator. And so there's this incredible relationship that has existed for all of eternity. And this is why relationship is so much at the heart of God, that as we are created, we're not just sent off and God just pulls back from his creation and says, well, good luck. Like, hopefully you get it figured out. Relationship is at the core of who God is. We see this in the Trinity. And so this has operated in perfect relationship for all of eternity. And then God creates, and he creates humankind. And we are meant to and be called to be in perfect relationship, but perfect relationship includes choice. Like, if we're to have relationship, and God's not just domineering over us, we actually have choice in that. And what happened in the Garden of Eden is we chose as humanity something different. We chose ourselves. We chose sin. And so sin entered into the world. And so this holy, holy God who is without sin and us as sinful people, we've got, we've got a problem here because we can't coexist. It's, it's a challenge here. And so God sets into motion this, this plan of redemption. And that ultimately comes through Jesus Christ. He who was out sin, he who knew no sin, became sin so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Jesus had no sin, and yet he took on all of ours, all of humanity's sin, so that he could die and sacrifice it once and for all in order to satisfy God's holiness and his justice to allow a sinful people, you and I, we got to make this personal today. It can't just be someone else, somewhere else at a different time. You and I to be connected once again to such a holy God. Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice, and he bore the weight of this for us. He bore the weight of all of that abandonment, all of that sin, all of that pain, everything we experience, everything. He bore all of that, and it was excruciating, and yet it was not without purpose. You see, as the insults were thrown, come down and save yourself. Jesus stayed. He chose not to save himself so that he could save us. That is the sacrifice. That is the message of the cross. But doesn't it seem kind of cruel and like unusual punishment that God would abandon him here? And you know, it's so easy for us to become short-sighted when we look at texts like this. In our lives, we want answers now. We want full understanding. We want comfort. We want convenience. We want immediacy. But just as the psalmist goes on a journey of suffering to victory, we see this same journey reflected through the cross. Jesus suffers deeply. He takes on all of our sin, but God holds a greater plan. The heart of the Father is not one of abandonment. 
The heart of the Father is justice. It is victory. It is calling us back home. And so in verse 22 of Psalm 22, we see a shift begin to take place. As David writes this and the prophetic nature of it, all of a sudden things start to shift. After all the acknowledgement of suffering and isolation, David writes this, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised and scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. For you, from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. That's us. That's us. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn. This is what we get to continue to do, church, as we celebrate this. We get to declare to a people yet unborn, he has done it. This is the hope of Christ, that in the end, God is victorious. There is no longer a chasm between us and God. The heart of the Father knows that death is not the end to this story, that it doesn't have the final say, that the death of Jesus makes room for the life of Jesus, that we get to be raised to life with him, that all of the sin all, that of all of humanity being placed on Jesus is not the end. This would be tragedy. This would be a brutal form of punishment. It wouldn't make any sense if this was the end of it. No, the heart of the Father was not short-sighted. He knows that although there's pain, joy comes. Although there is death, life comes. This is the hope that we have, that Jesus took on our sins, that Jesus shared in our suffering, that Jesus echoes David in his own suffering, and this is the message to the church as well. That in the light of the death and resurrection of Christ, we proclaim righteousness to future generations. Now, worship team, why don't you come and join me on stage? I love getting to preach on Good Friday. I love being able to proclaim this good news. It is done. He has done it. It is finished. Because for many of us, we walk around with this feeling of suffering and pain and isolation and difficulty, and those things are valid. Because sin, although Jesus came and died and rose again, we're in this kind of already he's done it, but it's not yet fully fulfilled. We still live in brokenness. We still live in that tension. We still have sin in our lives, but we don't have to live under the pressure and the brokenness of it. We can actually turn to Jesus, who did it for us, and release that and come alive in him. That's the hope. That's the message of the gospel. So as we, as we reflect this morning, we're going to take some time. We're going to hear a song, and we can worship with it as the, as the words come on the screen. But I want to encourage you to once again repent and turn to Jesus, to once again release yourself to him. To once again recognize that it is finished, that it is done in completion, that his suffering was not in vain, it was to save 
you and I. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.